Hi friends, welcome to another edition of the Christ is All podcast. And we have an exciting episode today. But before we get into it, I just want to thank all of you who have gotten a copy of my new book, 48 Laws of Spiritual Power. The feedback has been phenomenal. I am so grateful that the book has impacted so many of you who have taken the time to get a copy and read it. If you don't have a copy yet, you can go to 48laws.com. That's 48, the numbers, laws.com. And you can sample it. You can test drive it. And you can also listen to a number of cornerstone interviews that I did on the content. Recently, I wrote an article called The Subtle Art of Receiving God's Power. And it's on my blog, frankviola.org. You can find it there. But I mentioned in the opening that some people have been under a misimpression of the book, 48 Laws of Spiritual Power, and that's why they haven't gotten the copy yet. So I want to quickly articulate and take dead aim at those four misassumptions. One, some people have assumed that the book is only for people who are in full-time ministry. That is not true. The book is for every Christian because all of us need God's power operating in our lives as well as in our relationships with other people, whether those people are unbelievers who need the gospel or believers who need encouragement or help or influence. The second misassumption is that the book is only in soft cover. That is not true. The book is in audio and digital as well. The third assumption is that the book is difficult to read. That is not true. Each chapter is super short and the content is easy to digest and it's intentionally that way. In addition, the content is unique. It is not just a bunch of reminders. I don't write books to remind people of anything. If it's not fresh or if it's not a new take on an old subject, why bother writing it? I certainly am not interested in doing that. And the fourth misassumption, some people apparently have the idea that the book just repeats what's on my blog. That is not true either. 97%, at least 97% of the book is fresh content that I have never published anywhere before. Now, let's get into today's subject, the message that launched the present revolution. If you are not aware, <laughs> there is a revolution taking place in the body of Christ right now. I'm not talking about revival. Those come and go. They're short-lived. I'm talking about something deeper, higher, and that has more of a lasting effect. In July of 2017, I spoke in a conference in Orlando, Florida, entitled Everlasting Domain, and the subtitle was Restoring the Kingdom Message. That conference spanned four days, and I delivered eight messages in the conference. And the time we had together was remarkable. It was a cloudburst. Heaven broke through to earth. It was a spiritual powder keg. And what you're about to hear in a few minutes is the third message I delivered in that conference. And when it was over, my wife said to me, Frank, something happened in that room. The atmosphere was electric. When I finished that message, people asked to be baptized. And that was spontaneous. So the next day, we descended on the hotel pool, and we had a public baptism. And it was riveting. There was rejoicing. There was singing. There was praising to the Lord at that hotel 
in the public pool. And that conference gave birth to my signature work, Insurgents Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom. That book dropped in June of 2018, and I tell the story of the conference and the baptism at the beginning of that book. And if you're interested in getting a copy, which if you don't already have one, I would strongly recommend you do. The book is life-changing, and that's based on hundreds and hundreds of testimonials. You can go to insurgents.org, insurgents.org. That's the book landing page. Well, fast forward to January 2019, and we began the Insurgents podcast, which is all about the gospel of the kingdom. And one of the things we're doing in that podcast is we are going through and discussing every reference to the kingdom of God in the New Testament, and we're beginning in the gospels. And that podcast, thanks to so many of you who are listening to this podcast, has over 500,000 downloads already. And if you do not listen to that podcast, I would strongly encourage that you do. I have a partner, a conversation partner on most every episode. But that conference in 2017 and the message that you're about to hear, message number three, launched the present revolution. And it started on that day, but it has grown and grown and grown. And in episode 23 of the Insurgents podcast, We did feature that message for the first time, but we have never featured it in the Christ is All podcast. And given the days in which we're living, where there's a lot of talk about revival, the revolution, which is greater than a revival, is increasing. And so this is the message that launched the current revolution. If you're interested in hearing the entire series of messages that I brought at that conference, all eight of them, as well as 12 conference messages that were added and that turned into a master class containing 20 messages, you can head over to the deeperchristianlife.com. All of my master classes, which contain conference messages, are accessible on the network. Enjoy the message. If it touches you, if it stirs you, if it inspires you, if it blesses you, if it edifies you, or if it does anything else, (laughs) please share it with your friends. And don't forget the book, Insurgents Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom. Enjoy. Let's see. What what state is that? Oregon. Wow. Well, good enough. That's interesting. What's wrong with the state of Oregon is what I want to know. (laughs) Has God left Oregon? (laughs) We'll have to send missionaries to Oregon. What happened here last year and what's happening here and what will happen here this weekend is important to the Lord. And we do have an enemy who is very real and he does use physical circumstances, material circumstances, to obstruct what God wants to do. So I'm thankful that you pushed through and persevered, especially those of you who had a difficult time. I don't think it's an accident that you had a difficult time, but there is a passage in the New Testament that applies to this. It applies to so much more, not just this. But I see this as a kingdom event, and the kingdom of God is taken by violence, and the violence take it by force. We press in despite what's going on. 
despite how we feel, despite the outward pressures. And I just want to say right now, if you have an issue going on in your life, a personal issue, something that your mind keeps switching back to, just take a moment right now to give that to the Lord. Just put it in his hands. Very simple. Lord, you know what it is. You know I'm being distracted. You know my heart is burdened. You know my thoughts keep gravitating. I am now transferring the anxiety, the worry, and the care. I am shifting the burden over to you. And I am letting it go. And it's in your hands. And I am open to hear what you have to say to me this weekend. Free. Unshackled. In Jesus' name, amen. I, um, I was in Nevada last month. And I had the opportunity to preach in a Word of Faith church. I did not speak in the gospel of the kingdom. But that would have been difficult to do that. Because there is a teaching, very prevalent, started in the 70s. And it's the idea that if you're a Christian, you ought to be rich. Not everybody teaches that in word faith churches, but there are many people who teach and believe it. And that money is something we ought to pursue, and wealth. And there's all sorts of justifications for it in Scripture. You could prove anything if you cut and paste certain verses of the Bible together. I told a joke that I've only told a few times throughout the years. The first time I told it was in 2007 at a conference, when I think I was like 19 years old, something like that. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we've got to keep the story consistent with this morning. I was just thinking about what I wanted to say to you tonight and tomorrow about the radical edge of the gospel of the kingdom. So I told this, this story at the Word Faith Church, and those people just went hysterical. And even the pastor, who's, he's Spanish and he was translating for me, he, he lost it too a little bit. So I, I thought I'd tell it in light of what I'm going to be sharing. Three pastors, three ministers, three clergy died on the same night. A Catholic priest, a Baptist pastor, and a Word of Faith teacher. And when they all appeared in front of St. Peter at the pearly gates, Peter said to them, gentlemen, congratulations, you've all made it, but we have a little problem. We are backed up right now, but I'm going to take care of it. Just hold steady. And so Peter placed a phone call and he called Lucifer. And Lucifer said, yes, what is it, sir? And Peter said, well, we have a little bit of a problem. We're backed up. I have three that just checked in. Can you put them in a comfortable place down there just for a couple weeks? And Lucifer says, fine, send them down. Well, a week goes by, one week. And Lucifer calls Peter. And he says, Peter, you must 
get these three gentlemen out of here right now. <laughs> this is not working. Peter says, what's the problem? And Lucifer says, well, the Catholic priest is forgiving everybody's sins. <laughs> and the Baptist pastor is getting everybody saved. <laughs> but the worst problem of all is the word of faith teacher. He's raised enough money to air condition the entire place. <laughs> And I like that story a whole lot. <laughs> the reason why I ask you all to read that article on Jesus of Nazareth, enemy of the state, executed for treason, is because I wanted to show you that the gospel of the kingdom, when it is preached properly, sounds like treason. It sounds like sedition. The Jewish elders asked Pontius Pilate to judge and condemn Jesus. And they accused him of claiming to be the king of the Jews, which is a treasonous statement. It's a direct challenge to Caesar, the Roman authorities, and to Herod. And we find the same thing in Paul. In Acts 17, these men, Paul and Silas, have turned the world upside down and they've come here too. And Jason has harbored them. They're all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king. That's treasonous. And that's why, wherever Paul of Tarsus went in the first century, people were enraged. Government authorities were threatened. And there was a lot of persecution. Now, I want to read some scripture to you. If you have your song sheet on the back, there are a number of passages. And in this first session, I'm going to try to lay a foundation for what I'm going to be speaking on. In the next session tonight, we'll have two sessions tonight, and then tomorrow morning and tomorrow evening. All right, first one here is Genesis. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. I want you to notice the words, the presence of the Lord God point in the garden in the beginning in Eden the first humans lived in God's presence it's a profoundly important point then the angel said to her do not be afraid Mary for you have found favor with God and behold you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus he will be great he will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Praise the Lord. That is an echo of Daniel. He will have an everlasting domain. 
That's Luke 1, 30 to 33. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away. And also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. 1 John 2, 15-17. Now according to John, there are three chief temptations in what he calls the world. Right? The lust of the flesh. And that is the selfish, uncontrolled cravings of the physical body. The second is the lust of the eyes. That is what we know as materialism. You see it, you want it. It's greed. It's what the Bible calls covetousness, which is idolatry, by the way. One of the greatest forms of idolatry in the Bible. And today it's called consumerism. It's all different names for the same thing. And then there's the boastful pride of life, which is the grab for worldly power and ambition. Interestingly, these temptations that make up what John calls the world were also seen in the three temptations in the Garden of Eden. So look at the next passage. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, that's the lust of the flesh, and pleasing to the eye, that's the lust of the eyes. And also desirable for gaining wisdom. That's the pride of life. She took some and ate it. This next set of passages is Jesus speaking. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. The prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. The prince of this world now stands condemned. That's John 12, 31, 14, 30, and 16, 11. The word prince in the Greek means ruler. Jesus is calling the devil, Satan, the ruler of this world. That's significant. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. James 4, verse 4. The God of this age, other translations have the God of this world, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Notice that Paul is calling Satan the devil the god of this age or the god of this world. He's agreeing with Jesus who called him the prince of this world. And then Ephesians 2 verse 2. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. And uh, other translations translate this text referring to Satan as the prince of the power of the air. And Paul says, we used to walk according to the course of this world. 
For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. That's Ephesians 6.12 in the NLT. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The whole world. 1 John 5.19 Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. 1 Corinthians 2.12 We have not received the spirit of this world. Now we're going to read Genesis 4 later on. The story of the Bible is the tale of two kingdoms. The kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light warring against each other. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And the kingdom of Satan is also known as the world. Now, the Greek word that's translated world in the New Testament is cosmos. But it has three meanings. One meaning is the earth. Another meaning is the people who inhabit the earth. But a third meaning, and the one we're focusing in on tonight, the third meaning of this word, cosmos, which John used over a hundred times in his writings. He used this word quite a bit. John was also the one who talked the most about divine life. So John talked a lot about divine life on the one hand, and he also talked about this thing called the world on the other. And this third use of this term means a system, or the system that governs fallen humanity. And I think Watchman Nee's definition of this is unparalleled. He said, behind all that is tangible, we meet something intangible. We meet a planned system. And in this system, there is a harmonious functioning, a perfect order. There is then an ordered system, the world which is governed from behind the scenes by a ruler, Satan. Jesus, Paul, the weight of the New Testament presents to us this idea that there is a system on this earth that is governed by a mind, a person who is unseen, and that person is the devil himself. And this world system has a pull. It relentlessly pulls in one direction, and that direction is away from God. If you and I get caught in the riptide of the world, we are drifting, we are being pulled away from Jesus Christ. We can say it this way, that the world system is the order of things that prevail apart from redemption. Why talk about the world system? I'll tell you why it's important for us to talk about it. We have to identify it. Why identify it? Because it is the number one enemy and hindrance to the kingdom of God.
It's actually the counterfeit to the kingdom of God. And I want to talk to you about how the world system was conceived and how it was born. So let's talk about the conception of it. I'm not going to go through these scriptures. I'll just mention them to you. But in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, we have condemning words about two kings. They were kings living in that day when these texts were written. But if you look at the text very carefully, it can't be speaking about a king only, a natural king. Because there are supernatural elements involved. And the way that Old Testament prophecy works is that there are often double meanings. Layered meanings. And so many scholars and Bible commentators have pointed out that Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 are talking about the fall of a celestial being known in the Latin as Lucifer, known in the New Testament as Satan, and the devil. He was once part of the heavenly host, and he revolted. And he was dismissed from God's presence. And where did God send him? To the earth. But that's not how he became the God of this world, or the prince of the power of the air, or the prince of this age. If you remember... God's eternal purpose. Genesis 1. God gave dominion to human beings over the earth. It was as if God gave the title deed to the earth to humans. Man and woman. God would rule the heavens. Man and woman. Humanity would rule the earth through a tree which had God's life. So God would be ruling the earth through humans. That was the plan. And so that what was in heaven would come down to earth. The kingdom of God would be on earth as it is in heaven. But those first humans committed high treason. And they gave their God-given dominion over the earth to a fallen celestial being. They gave him the title deed. And so Satan became the god of this world. Yes. That's how it was conceived. But let me tell you how it was born. And this is a story that is rarely told. And this is where we get into Genesis 4. So I'll read that to you. I think you have the passage. And Cain, Abel's brother, went out from the presence of the Lord. And he settled in the land of Nod. And let me just make a little point here that I think is very interesting. I've looked at into where the land of Nod was. And there's a lot of speculation, but the best I can tell, it was in what later became known as Babylon. Which is fascinating. So Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and he settled in Nod, east of Eden. And Cain had relations with his wife and they conceived and he gave birth to a city. He built a city and named it Enoch. Genesis 4.16. Now, here's the point I want to make. Cain leaves God's presence, and what does he do? He builds a city. Why? Because there is a void in him. He no longer is in the presence of God, which was God's intention for humans. So he builds a city. This is the beginning of fallen human civilization. Yes. 
And if you read further in Genesis 4, and I'm just going to summarize, we have three elements in this city. And these are the elements that mark fallen human civilization. And these three elements mark the world system. Provision, represented by livestock. The systemization of food is what that is. In the garden, the first humans would just pluck fruit off a tree. But now it became a systematic industry. And provision is the number one thing we see when we look at the first civilization. The second thing we see is enjoyment. And this is represented by musical instruments. Again, this is all in Genesis 4. This is the beginning of worldly entertainment. Humans are no longer in God's presence. Cain has been dismissed from the presence of God, so he has a void, and now he's going to systematize, and now he's going to create entertainment to fill that emptiness. Worldly entertainment. And then, security. That's the third. Represented by bronze and iron, which were used to create weapons and fortification. So you have provision, enjoyment, and security apart from the presence of God. Now in Eden, humans found their provision, found their enjoyment, and found their security in the presence of the Lord. But when Cain left God's presence, he built a city. And he was in pursuit of those three things. And those are the elements that mark fallen human civilization. Provision, enjoyment, and security. What then is the world system? It is the attempt to take what is natural and what God has made and systematizing it, distorting it, to the point where it enchains, ensnarls, engulfs, ensnares, and enslaves human beings. And if you look at the world, if you look at those who do not know Christ, what are they pursuing? Provision, enjoyment, security outside of God's presence. That's what the world system is. And it leads to <laughs> the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, I, I'm just going to riff here in, in just a second on something. This is a parenthesis. But there are basically three ways of life on the planet. There is human civilization, fallen human civilization, which is living in and by and through the world system as I've been describing to you. Then there is something different, it's called tribal life, which is very rare on this planet today. And the way tribes operate is very different from civilization. One of the things you don't have is a systemization and ordered chain of command hierarchy. Tribes operate very differently. And when God created Israel, He created that nation not to live in fallen human civilization, but to live tribally. Ever heard of the 12 tribes of Israel? 
And I'm going to make another point. Hierarchy. Top-down, chain of command, pyramid-structured authority was never made for human beings. Yes. It was made for the celestial world yes. of the heavenly host. Yes. And when it came to this earth, it has always, in every sphere where it appeared, created oppression and injustice yes. and control. In the Godhead, there's debate among scholars and theologians, but if you listen and read the best ones, there is no hierarchy within the Godhead. And passages that seem to suggest that are misunderstood. But that's, that's a tangent, and when this book comes out next year, I'm going to be proving this historically, sociologically, and biblically, showing you that hierarchy was not something made for humans. It is part of human civilization. The systematization, that's a hard word to say, the systematization of natural things to ensnarl, enchain, enthrall, consume, possess your life. And that's what the world system does. The goal of the world system is to get you so enchained and ensnarled and ensnared that you're distracted from the kingdom of God. You're distracted from Jesus Christ. Your heart, your mind, your soul has been sold somewhere else. Let me tell you how pervasive the kingdom of darkness is. And by the way, do you know why it's called the kingdom of darkness? Because the people who are in it are in the dark. They don't know that they're in it. They can't see that there's someone invisible pulling the strings and controlling it all. They're blind to it. That's why it's the kingdom of darkness. And what I'm trying to do tonight is pull the curtain up because I think that's what the Lord did and that's what Paul did and that's what the New Testament does. It gives us a peek behind the curtain to see what's really going on. And it really explains so much. Let me tell you how pervasive it is. The kingdom of darkness, the world system, it touches fashion. It touches business. It touches government. It touches politics. It touches entertainment. It touches education. It even touches religion. You have the systematization, the distortion of the enemy of God operating through these systems. And behind the system is another system. And behind that system is another system. And they are all aligned with one objective. To keep you from the kingdom of God. To keep you from the bride of Jesus Christ. To keep you enchained and ensnared. Consumed and possessed. Enslaved. So let me get a little more specific. Many of us here live in the West. And I would uh, dare say that in the West we have two false gods, two idols. Well, we have a lot more than two. But, um, people talk about money, sex, and power. Those are the three big ones that operate all throughout the world. And behind them is a spirit, Aphrodite, the god of lust. <laughs> 
That is a false God. And I will say this, and you're going to find this out in the next session, and, and I think it's going to blow your mind because it did me when I started to realize it. There's an actual spirit behind that. Yes. That's what a false God is. Paul said it. Paul said in Corinthians that the false gods of the world are actually demons. Yes. They're demonic, satanic, angelic, fallen angelic, fallen celestial beings. And the story behind that is incredible. Plutus is another one. Money, sex, and power. Lust, greed, and power. Well, there's two other gods that really operate strongly in the West. And one of them is nationalism and the other one is capitalism. Yes. And people kill, sacrifice, and die to preserve those two gods. They do. How many deaths in the name of nationalism? How many deaths to keep capitalism? Look, I'm not talking about politics and philosophy. I'm just pointing out that these are two things that people worship in the West. And because of those two gods, those twin gods, the teachings of Jesus Christ have been watered down, diluted, and even ignored to preserve those two gods. And in the East, the main gods in the East, believe it or not, are education and business. People can't see past those things. Even if they grow up in poverty, they're still trying to get that education and they're still trying to have a business to grow out of that. And that's what they live for and die for. Their whole world is consumed with those two things. And another one is socialism and communism. These are gods. Here's the point I'm making, and I'll, I'll just get close to home here in the U.S. There is a real strong spirit of nationalism among people who are over 40 years old in this country. And there's a real strong spirit of globalism among people who are under 40 in this country. And I am here to say to you, sisters and brothers, that the gospel of the kingdom declares war on both nationalism and globalism it declares war on capitalism socialism and communism why because all of those things pledge allegiance to another kingdom they pledge allegiance to another kingdom well Frank are you saying that it's wrong to go into business the question isn't is it wrong to have a business the question is why do you have a business and how chained to it are you? Now, I know Christian brothers who are businessmen. And I know they have major health problems. They're not public. And the health problems are related to the stress over their business. And the men I'm talking about have sold their souls to their business. So that's not the question, whether you have a business. It's why do you have a business and how chained are you to that business? Whose flag are you giving your allegiance to? And many people in this world give it to business. What about education? Is it wrong to get an education? I'm going to school right now, somebody says. 
the question isn't, is it wrong to get an education? The question is, why are you getting an education? And the answer to that for many people, well, some people haven't even thought about it. But if you're getting an education to acquire wealth and to have a name and to be successful by this world's standards, if the motive is worldly ambition, then that's something you have to answer yourself. If you think that that is in line with the gospel of the kingdom or not. I am an American citizen, and I think probably most of you in this room are based on my question this morning. But I want you to know that I'm really not an American citizen. Yes. Amen. And neither are you if you're a follower of Jesus. Yes. According to the scripture, you are a citizen of another kingdom. Yes. Your allegiance belongs to another kingdom. You are a citizen of the kingdom of the heavens. And that's not rhetoric. And I love my country. I am thankful to be here. I've been around the world. And I thank God for being in the United States of America. But I will renounce my American citizenship in a second if I have to choose between that and Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And sometimes it comes to that. Are you following what I'm trying to say to you? I'm talking about kingdoms. I'm talking about rule. I'm talking about authority. Sisters and brothers, Jesus Christ doesn't just want to forgive you of your sins. He wants to deliver you from tyranny. He wants to break chains in your life and mine. And not just the tyranny to the law. That was last year's conference. But tyranny to the world system where you and I are tempted constantly to find our security, our provision, and our enjoyment in the things of this world. Yes. Not realizing that there is another God who is pulling the strings. And the gospel of the kingdom declares war on the whole thing. And we're going to find out if we can get through this conference. We'll see how many of you are left tomorrow morning and tomorrow night. <laughs> you're, you're going to see how pervasive that message is, how powerful and radical. I told you it was titanic. And why people were infuriated. And it wasn't just the non-believers in the first century sisters and brothers. It was people who were religious. It was God's own people. Who do you think persecuted Paul? Who do you think put your Lord to death? It was the religious of that day. People who had a covenant with God. Are you listening to this? Because Jesus Christ was challenging that which they were ensnared by. Let's take the political system of any country. It doesn't matter what it is. We'll just take the United States political system. Do you know who the head of the political system in the United States is? Can anybody tell me? Okay, now that sounds, in our 21st century world, that sounds really bizarre, right? Oh, come on. The devil is the head of the political... Well, according to Jesus Christ and according to Paul, yes. The political system is part of the world system. 
It is. It's a systematization of authority put in the hands of men. And just, I mean, just look at it. If you've ever been in it, you can see the fingerprints of the enemy. Now, God has people in it. Yes, he has some of his own people are in it. But you know what? It is extremely difficult. I would say what Jesus said about the rich man entering into the kingdom of heaven. Some preachers have diluted what Jesus was saying there, by the way, just to make it more comfortable. He meant what he said. It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. He was saying it's impossible humanly. But then he said, with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible, including a person going into the political system and surviving it without being corrupted. It's possible with God. So someone wants to go into the political system, and let's say they're successful and they get the rascals out. Guess what's going to happen? One, two, three years later, you're going to have new rascals. <laughs> because the structure itself did not come from God. God did not invent the political system. I don't care what country you live in. It's part of the world system. And when Jesus was tempted by Satan, he came to our Lord and he said, I will give you all the kingdoms of this world, all the governments, all of the leaders, everything that they have, every kingdom will be yours. And Jesus never disputed that claim. He never said, well, you don't have it. How can you give it to me? No. His response showed us that what Paul said, he is the God of this world. And what Jesus himself said, he is the prince or the ruler of this world, was true. It's in his hands. You can try to reform the political system. And I'll, I'll just stand back, <laughs> way, way back, and watch and pray for you. And if you can turn that thing upside down from top to bottom, I will be the first to cheer you on. And, but three to five years later, it's going to be right back where it was. And if you're not corrupted by it, you will thank the mercies of God. And the educational system is, is not much different, although it's not as intense as the political system. But I was in the educational system for years. And I'm going to talk about that tomorrow night because I'm going to tell you how I survived it. But let me just make a point here. What I'm talking to you about tonight, the world system, love not the world, it's passing away, it's on a clock, it's on a time bomb. Don't put stock in the world system because it's going to be toppled over by another kingdom. Yes. Don't pledge allegiance to the systems of this world because they are at variance with the kingdom of God to which you belong. All I'm saying I think is best illustrated by the 1999 movie The Matrix. If you've never seen it, watch it. And if you watched it a long time ago, watch it again because that's a great illustration that people are in a system that is so pervasive it covers everything and they don't even know they're in it. And this is how the world operates. From the time you go to grade school, wherever you grow up in, you are indoctrinated 
to pledge your allegiance to the flags of this world and you're indoctrinated to think a certain way about money and about success and about wealth and about what the goals in life are and sisters and brothers it's all part of the world system it's not from your Lord he is thinking a totally different way his kingdom is not of this world and we are part of the kingdom of God and the Lord says forsake get out of it give it up chuck it cut your ties with it and John the Baptist preached that and Paul preached that and Peter preached that and all the apostles preached it it is the glorious gospel of the kingdom and it's powerful and it's challenging and it's costly and I'm here to tell you I don't feel qualified to preach on it I'm not really preaching on it I'm telling you about it <laughs> and I'm saying God have mercy on Frank Viola because by the Lord's grace I intend to cut every tie I'm in the process I've been in it for a while cut every tie to the world system. I'm still chasing things down that the Holy Spirit is putting his finger on. This is the world. Forsake it. Yes. Get out of it. Cut it off. I'm rolling my dice here on the dream that God will have a people in this generation or maybe the next if we don't make it but are completely and totally given to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus yes. Christ and who have obeyed the gospel of the kingdom yes. as well as any man or woman ever has. So your need is not just to get your sins forgiven and neither is mine. It's something far greater than that. It's to unplug from the matrix. Yes. To unplug from the matrix. And if you watch that movie with a spiritual eye, you will also see a foreshadowing, a symbolic rendering of Jesus Christ dying and rising again from the dead, the chosen one, because he took the red pill. <laughs> Take the blue pill and you'll wake up and this never happened. There are men and women on this earth who in the name of Jesus Christ are totally and absolutely consumed with business. There are men and women on this earth who in their mind and heart name the name of Jesus Christ and they're totally consumed with education. There are people on this earth who name the name of Jesus Christ and they're totally consumed with possessions. There are people on this earth who name the name of Jesus Christ and they're totally consumed with politics and entertainment and you name it. And sisters and brothers, Jesus Christ is after a people who will come under his full and absolute reign. And all of that means, and this is why I keep saying it is by the mercy of God that we can respond to that call. It may take us a week. It may take us a month. It may take us several months. But if we are willing to follow the Lord wherever he goes. And boy, that's a packed statement. To follow Jesus Christ. You know what that meant in the first century. He came along and he talked to people who were in business. They had their own businesses. And he said, follow me. And they knew what that meant. And it was a cost for them. 
The Lord knows each and every one of us, and He knows where we're tied to the world. He knows where we're ensnared to the world, and it's going to mean different things for different people. And I'm going to talk more practically about it tomorrow night. And I'm going to share with you what I'm doing in my own life, my family, in cutting all ties with the world system, and what it doesn't mean either. Because we can filter this message through so many different things. Well, Frank, are you saying this? Are you saying that? What, you, what about this? This doesn't sound right. And I'm going to try to address that. But I want you to get the flavor of what I'm trying to communicate. A person who has given themselves totally and utterly and completely to the kingdom of God is someone who stands up and says, I don't care about wealth. I don't care about poverty. I don't care about academic credentials. I don't care about status. I don't care about worldly success. I don't care about education. I care about one thing, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom, which will one day topple every kingdom, including the kingdom of darkness. And the reason why the kingdom of God has not advanced more than it has, why? Because the Lord's people are ensnared by the world system. And the tentacles of the world are many and varied and they stretch long and wide. We have people who their view of worldliness is, well, you know, don't dance, (laughs) don't drink. But those same people love money and their stuff. And you have other people who say, well, the world, you know, that's war. We got to lay down our weapons. That's serving the God of Mars. Bloodshed and violence. We got to protest against our government because war is evil. And Jesus said, turn the other cheek. But those same people are okay with certain things the Bible condemns. Certain types of immorality. They just sort of blink at that. Look away. I don't know, you know, that's not really important. What's important? And so everybody has their own sin metrics game that they play. And the point is that most all of us, unless we are willing to come under the penetrating light of the Lord, which I hope happens this weekend, and I'm going to do my best to encourage you to let the Lord strike at your heart. Unless that happens we will be enchained to some aspect of the world and can even become self-righteous in condemning other aspects that we're not part of. You understand what I'm saying? It's quite a thing. And it's quite a message. And I meet so many Christians, they're so exhausted, they're so tired. Some of them have ulcers, some of them have other health problems related to stress not because they're wasting their life on the kingdom of God it's because they're trying to preserve their stuff it's because they work so much why education business money and not really being content with what they have well I'm uh, I'm here to say this to you as an introduction to what's coming. I want to be involved in, and I want to give you the greatest honor in history. 
I'm talking about coming under the absolute, complete, full, utter reign of Christ. Yes. I'm talking about what the early Christians understood it to mean when they said, following Jesus. And I'll tell you what you get if you, if you respond to the gospel of the kingdom. You get the most priceless thing in the universe composed of atoms and molecules. You get to inherit the king in his fullness. You get the very presence of Jesus Christ. And you're going to see this clear tomorrow. Because everyone who followed him got to know him really, really well. And they got to live in the conscious presence of Christ. That's what the twelve got. They forsook all and followed him, and they had the privilege of living in the presence of Jesus Christ for three and a half years. They had breakfast with the Lord of creation every day. They had dinner with him. <laughs> they watched him sleep. They watched him wake up. But it just didn't end there. I'll tell you what you also will get. You'll get his faithfulness. For he has promised. Seek first my kingdom. On all the stuff you're worried about. All the stuff you're tempted to work so hard for. All the stuff that you're trying to find your security in, I will give it to you. Seek first my kingdom and all of these things that are pulling at you night and day that people sell their souls for will be yours. And you get free from worry. You don't have to worry anymore about security. You don't have to worry anymore about keeping up with the Joneses. You don't have to worry anymore about what people think about you. Yes. You have given it up. But to inherit the king and the fullness of the kingdom of God, that's what you get. And you also get his peace and joy. If it wasn't a peaceful kingdom... With joy and peace given, I wouldn't preach it. I wouldn't teach it. I wouldn't talk about it. But the kingdom of God is not food or drink. It's peace, joy, and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. Yes. And that kingdom bids all of us to abandon everything else. Everything that the devil invented. Yes. To cut all ties. And boy, this goes deep. This involves relationships. The Lord will put his finger on a relationship that is keeping us from the fullness of the kingdom. It involves stuff. It involves activities. It involves pursuits. It involves all sorts of things. And my admonition and encouragement to you as one who's on a journey and asking you and inviting you to come along with me on it is to open your heart to the Lord and let Him shine His light and hear Him say, follow me in this area and sisters and brothers to tenderize your heart and say yes. yes. God needs a people. 
God needs a gospel once again. God's got to have it if he will have what he desires. And the glory of the kingdom of God, the everlasting domain of Jesus Christ, awaits all of us. And this is what baptism was in the first century. When you got baptized, you were saying, I am dead to the world system. And I have severed all ties to it. And I have abandoned it all. This is my burial. I am dying to it all. And my whole life is now for the kingdom of God. All right. That's the introduction to what I'm going to share in the next session. We're going to stop. I'm going to give you an assignment that you will do at your tables. But here's the assignment. I want everybody to write these four texts down. I'm going to give you four scripture references, and I'm going to ask you to do something with them. <clears throat> the first one is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 to 10. 1 Timothy 6, 6 to 10. The second one is Hebrews 13, verses 5 to 6. Hebrews 13, verses 5 to 6. Hebrews 13, 5 to 6. The third one is Philippians 4, 12 to 13. Philippians 4, 12 to 13. And then there's Luke 12, 13 to 21. Luke 12, 13 to 21. Here's the assignment. I want you to first read every passage. So you don't want to talk about it until you've read every passage. And of course, have someone read one of them and another person read another one. Don't have the same person read them all. Select four people. Read them nice, nice and loud at your table. And then I just want you to answer a question. What do you see in those four passages that the Lord is communicating to us through those words? What's the common Message. If you had to put it in a sentence or a paragraph, what is he saying in your understanding, in your view? Because it's all going to be different. Everybody's going to have a different take on this, a different language to describe it, different insight. But what is the Lord saying through those passages? What's the common theme? There may be two or three. So this is the, the question I will ask you. Now, F.F. F. Bruce has a book that he wrote in the past called The Hard Sayings of Jesus. And he covers all of those statements that we tend to uh, read under a bed with a flashlight. <laughs> They're scary. And one of the points he makes is that he says, well, different theologians and preachers have interpreted it this way, but they've done it because it's so hard the way we read it. It's so costly, it's so challenging, so they've, they've taken the sharp edge off of it. And F.F. F. Bruce was one of the greatest scholars who ever lived, New Testament scholars. He said, whenever Jesus is making you uncomfortable, that's the real meaning. Yes. When you dilute it down and you make it softer, you soften it, easier to go down, that's not the Lord. I say that for one reason. Don't water any of it down, please. Just read it as it is. You know, and if anybody left your table to use the restroom, wait on them. Wait on them to come back. 
Let's not be like the Corinthians who ate all the food <laughs> before the poor saints got there. 